Well, good morning, Crossroads. It is wonderful to preach to you this morning again. um, It's always a privilege to be here. I want to invite you this morning uh, to turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 this morning. I have kind of a lengthy passage that at some point here in a few minutes we're going to read, um, but I want you to kind of get your your, uh, bearings here for a moment, and I'm going to get my bearings here for just a moment as well. Uh, man, it is crazy for me to to try to comprehend, but in about two months, my wife and I will be celebrating our 25th, 24th, sorry, I better get that right. I better remember, because I know she's back in the lobby watching and listening, but um, in about two months, I'm going to be celebrating with my lovely bride our 24th wedding anniversary, and it has now been officially 25 years since we first started dating, and the fact that we've made it this far is kind of a my, uh, like a mind miracle of God based on the way our relationship started. I don't know how you you courted your spouse or how your spouse courted you or you dated, whatever you choose to call it, but my wife and I, for nearly the entire year leading up to our engagement, we dated long distance. Uh, I was in Bible college in Springfield, Missouri. I was studying to become a pastor. And uh, she, we met at Bible College, but after we started dating, after our freshman year, she went back to Texas and she worked at her father's church, worked at a Christian school there. And so we dated for nearly a year without seeing each other on a regular basis, certainly not on a daily or a weekly basis. And it was a really difficult time. Didn't really know if our relationship was going to make it from the start just because of the circumstances that surrounded us. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we built a relationship on communication. It was really important to us. And it just so happened that I worked at a, at a uh, telemarketing company called Telequest. And we actually, actually were a third-party verification company for MCI Long Distance. Many of you probably remember MCI from back in the 70s, 80s, and certainly into the 90s. Well, they would make sales and they would sell people long distance and switch them from AT&T or whatever it might be. And we would come in and we would verify that the customer actually wanted to um, have their long distance service switched over. And so as a result, every night after my shift, I got free long distance. And I know for many of us, we all remember what it was like to have to pay 10 cents a minute, right? Things have changed just a little bit in the last 25 years. But back then, I couldn't afford to pay for long distance. And the only reason that Becky and I's relationship really survived all of that time was because I called her religiously and faithfully every evening. We would talk sometimes for 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes or even an hour. And we based our relationship, we built our relationship on strong communication. And beyond that, we used to write each other love letters. I don't know if any of you ever wrote your spouse love letters, but that was a way that we corresponded through those, through that year, through those months. And we just wrote each other back and forth. We would email each other. We would, um, write notes and and cards and draw pictures and just jot things down and send them to one another so that we knew that each other was thinking about the other. Well, I was in my garage just yesterday and I was kind of rummaging through some of my stuff, shuffling some things around, and I came across um, some of my most prized possessions that I wanted to kind of show you as as I'm talking about all of this right now. What I came across was an old bag full of all of our correspondence from our dating year. I have nearly 60 letters, 60 emails, cards, notes, 
some pictures in there of all of our correspondence back and forth. And, you know, we used to write each other and just let each other know. I I certainly wouldn't want to read any of these to you. They're very personal to me. Um, But, you know, this was just my way of letting Becky know that I was thinking about her even beyond the phone calls. Well, after we started after we started dating and got settled into that rhythm, and then we got married, back in 2006, you know, after we got married, I stopped writing her letters because we lived in the same household. And so, but I had this idea on Valentine's Day of 2006 to buy her a journal. And I bought this journal for her, and um, I started writing love notes in it to her. And so, from time to time, I'll pull this out, and I'll just write her a love letter And I'll sit it on her pillow and just let her know that I'm thinking about her, that I'm still drawn to her, that I'm still trying to pursue her. And so I have all of these love notes. I have all of these things that are, that are very significant and meaningful to us because of how our relationship started and how difficult it was and how much we had to work to make it last. And to this day, you know, you look at me and you probably think, I can't believe she worked that hard to keep you, you know? Uh, The fact of the matter is, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot to offer at the time, you know? Other than my obvious charm and my rugged good looks, I didn't have a whole lot to offer her. Uh, But what I did offer her was, basically, this is what I said, listen, if you, if we want to make this work, we're both going into ministry, I'm probably going to take you away from your family. And I'm going to, I'm going to have the salary of a youth pastor, which isn't very much if you don't know. And then we're going to live with the life of stress of ministry. And this is kind of what I had to offer her and her being naive or whatever. I'm not really sure she signed up for it. And uh, man, we have made a living and a life together. And it's so amazing to me as I look back over the last 24 years of God's faithfulness to us. Um, and it amazes me because we were an underdog story. We really shouldn't have made it all of that time as we dated because of how difficult it was only seeing each other maybe every six weeks, maybe sometimes a couple of months at a time. But we fought through it because we both had a similar calling in life. I desired nothing more when I was 19 years old than to be a youth pastor. That's all I wanted to be in life. And all she wanted to be when we met was a youth pastor's wife. And so it was kind of a match made in heaven. And God has just brought us together and he has united us together. And these things that I just showed you, these letters and these journals, these are the things. Have, has anybody ever asked you, like, hey, hypothetical scenario, your house is burning to the ground. You only have time to run into your house and, and retrieve one thing to keep it. What would that be? And for years, you know, I've heard that question. I've, people have asked me that. I've always thought, man, what would it be? Would it be my, my 55-inch flat screen television? Would it be my laptop? Uh, you know, would it be the little amount of cash that I've stowed away somewhere? I don't really think so. I've always wondered, like, what would it be? And yesterday, as I was actually looking for these notes, I couldn't find them at first. And I was distraught. I actually went to, I went to Becky. I said, I have bad news. I can't find the letters that I was looking for. And it turned out that she had hidden them away to protect them. She might've been afraid that I would either lose them or that I would throw them away. But I've realized that these are some of my most prized possessions, these notes. And it's all because we were an underdog story. I think every one of us know, and we have witness and we have been through enough in life that we realize that, man, there are, there are areas of our lives where we all kind of live as underdogs, but God somehow comes through. 
And God makes probabilities out of impossibilities. That's kind of what he does, doesn't he? You can read all throughout scripture and you can see these impossible situations that God would bring his people through and you'd think there's no way. There's no way God can bring a million people, two million people through this sea. There's no way that he can feed them in this wilderness. There's no way that this little teenage boy can take down a nine foot tall giant. There is no way that the walls of the city are actually going to come down just by marching around it. There are so many stories of how God takes the underdog and elevates them through his own faithfulness, but that is exactly what he does, and that's exactly what he has done in my wife and I's relationship. And you can probably think through your life, you can think through the scenarios and all of the things that have happened through your years, and you can remember those times where God has made a possibility out of an impossibility. Yet after countless testimonies that we read in scripture, right? We read throughout the whole Bible of all of these stories and all the things that we have witnessed and all of the things that we have walked through, we still are surprised by God. Like, how is it possible that he still shocks us when he comes through in impossible situations? But that's exactly what he does time and time again. He does this in our personal lives, but he also does this in our church. I mean, think about this. It's been nearly a year and a half since God did the improbable and he brought two churches together and merged them into one faith family. Now think about the fact that two years ago, there were two completely separate congregations that said, you know what, let's come together, let's partner together and do something that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Would any of you have thought three years ago that that was even something that would be on the radar or something that would be a possibility? Probably not. But some of you, I want to just commend you, because many of you went through this transition nearly two years ago. I want to commend you for how you handled it. I want to celebrate what God has done in you and through you. And I know it wasn't easy, this transition. There's been a lot of like growing pains. There's been a lot of like unfamiliar things that have come along uh, this whole path and this whole time. But man, you should be commended. Some of you, over the life of this church, have given sacrificially and monetarily to bless this ministry, to build some of these buildings. Others of you, you just like Nehemiah, you put your hand to the great work that God called you. And some of you literally built with your hands these facilities. And there are others of you that stuck and you stayed through lean times of this church over the years where you didn't know exactly where this church was going to go. You didn't know what the leadership was going to look like. You didn't know what the future had in store, but you stuck and you stayed because you trusted and you believed God for greater things ahead. In fact, I know that there are many of you who have stayed through the years. How many of you, by a raise of hands... Keep your hands up. How many of you have been a part of this church for at least 10 years? Wow. Okay. So probably 75% of you. Keep your hands up. How many of you have been a part of this church for at least 25 years? 25 years. Okay. Maybe still 40% of you. A lot of people on this side. Apparently this is the faithful people. Uh, But there's still a few over here. Okay. Still a few of you over here. Okay. 25 years. How many of you have been a part of this church for at least 30 years? Okay. Still a lot of hands up. 40 years? 50 years? Got a few hands. I think this church is over 60. Has anybody been a part of this church? Is it close to 60? How old is this church? 
53. Anybody been here for all 53 years? Praise the Lord. Let's give these folks a round of applause of appreciation. What a phenomenal testimony to your faithfulness to the Lord, to his people, to this church. That is a wonderful thing to see all of these hands that have been a part of this church for so long. God has done the improbable. And maybe what seemed impossible 53 years ago, he has done this through all of you because you have stuck and you have stayed. And I know it hasn't been easy some of these, some of these years, but hopefully as all of you have contributed to some extent and to some level, hopefully after all of the sacrifice, you can look at what all you've done and what all God has used you to do. And you can say, you know what? The sacrifice was worth it. Because everything that I've gained has been much, much more and deeper than what I have actually given up. And man, God has been so faithful. And I know some of you two and a half, two years ago or so, a little over two years ago, you thought to yourselves, let's do something unorthodox. Let's think outside the box and let's do something in order to reach more people than we could reach by ourselves. We need to reach more people for Jesus. And think about the fact that because two churches merged together, think about the fact that now there are nearly 600 people that will walk into this campus this very morning. The fact that almost every room this morning in this building will be used by either adults or teenagers or children. Think about the fact, and I know you guys don't feel this, this pain quite as much as many other people that come to the 10 o'clock service, but just finding a parking spot out in the parking lot has turned into an Olympic sport, right? Like people come and it's like, it is on trying to compete for different parking spots. Think about the fact that throughout the week, nearly every square foot of this building is getting used. It's all a testimony to God's faithfulness and the work that he has done in you and through you, and the fact that he wants to use each and every one of us as a part of his plan for the redemption of people that are far from God. And folks, as as lovely as this building is, and, and for all that you have done and all that you have built here in this place, because this is a beautiful facility. There are people that call up on a regular basis wanting to use this chapel for their weddings. There are people on a regular basis that, that just remark about how phenomenal that new addition is on the other side of this building and how it's, it's a great facility. But the fact of the matter is, I think you all know that the church is not a building. The church is the people within the building and you are the living stones that God is building up in order to reach the next generation. And the fact of the matter is, as we talk about this and we get into our sermon, God's work is not done. He's not done using you. You may have put your hand to a good work 40 or 50 years ago, but the work is not done. The Christian never gets to say, mission accomplished. Because there is always one more that we need to reach for Christ with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the church's mission is not yet complete. Crossroads' mission, we are just getting started and we want to keep plowing into the next generation in order to reach that generation and God has used you and wants to continue to use each and every one of you. The fact of the matter is is that this cross this this crossroads church Ontario Christian Fellowship for all of these years it's an underdog story. The fact that it still exists after 53 years is kind of a miracle because many churches don't make it half that long. The fact that the church in general since its inception is still existing 2,000 years later, is a miracle. Folks, the church, you people, not this building, 
is God's plan for the redemption of the world. We are the messengers of Jesus Christ called to take the gospel and the good news of Jesus into the world and win people for the cause of Christ. And so the question is, is what kind of church does God want us to be as we move into this next season of ministry? Well, we're going to look at Acts chapter 20 this morning. In Acts chapter 20, I want to give you just a bit of backstory. Paul is, um, there's a story, there's a narrative about Paul who is actually spending some time with the, uh, the elders of the church at Ephesus. And Paul is having this moment where he is sharing his heart, he is pouring his heart out to the leaders of this church because Paul has deeply loved these people. They became his people. He belonged to them. They belonged to him. He had, he had presented the gospel to them. He delivered the gospel. He was the first one to take Jesus to them. He spent three years. He slowed down his life for these people. He taught them. He preached to them. He discipled them. He poured his life out into them. And he presented all of them as faithfully as he could to the Lord. And he wrote letters to them. And we have the book of Ephesians as a result of his relationship with them. And he deeply loved these people. So in this moment that we're going to read in Acts chapter 20, what we're seeing is Paul's farewell address to these people that he loves so very much because there was something in Paul that was telling him, I don't think I have much time left. The spirit inside of him was saying, I think that persecution is coming. I think that imprisonment is coming. And I just want to gather you together and just say what is on my heart to the people that he loves so much. And this was Paul's last chance to say goodbye and as we, as we read this passage in Acts chapter 20, it's going to show us the kind of church that Paul thought that the Ephesians had become. And it's going to show us about four things that we should be about as a, as a local church in 2022. It's going to give us some principles that we should carry out and things that we should know as we are the living church, the living bride of Christ in this generation. So let's start reading in Acts 20, starting in verse 17. Now, this passage is a little long, so just stick with me, but I want you to get the full picture of what was happening. So now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks the repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. This is Paul saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom uh, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, 
Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. And so this is Paul pouring out his his heart, expressing his deep love and his concern for this church. And these people belonged together. They were familiar and they loved one another deeply. And that word belonging, as you think about that, for some of you, that may not be the word that you describe for yourself as you think about your relationship to the church. I think that there are a lot of people today that come to church, but they don't necessarily belong to church. They attend church on a regular basis, and there might be some of you in here. You come to church every Sunday because it's just a part of your weekly rhythm. It's a part of what you do. You feel like it's your obligation or your duty, and you feel like, man, this is what makes me feel like I'm, I'm contributing, or this is what makes me feel like I'm holding up my end of the bargain. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are many people, not just in this congregation, in this room, but maybe in the contemporary campus as well, that attend church on a regular basis, but they don't feel like they belong. And what God wants from you is he wants you to not just be a consumer at a church, but he wants you to belong. He wants you to be a contributor. And so when you're a part of a church like Crossroads, we want you to feel like you are blessed to belong to this place. And when you belong to this place and to this people, more importantly, there are many blessings that come along with that. And Paul shared some of them when he spoke with the Ephesians. And I want to break this passage down just a little bit further. And I want to share with you some of the blessings that come with belonging to a faith family just like this here at Crossroads. And the first blessing is that the church provides teaching that will stimulate growth. The church provides teaching that stimulates spiritual growth. And this, this contributes to your spiritual formation. And you know, I'm grateful for the patience that each and every one of you have had um, over the past 16 months. You've sat under a rotating, like a rotating team of pastors. And I know at times it's blessed you. I know at times it's been a little bit frustrating because you're hearing a different voice every week. And man, you've got to hear from Pastor Josh. You've got to hear from Pastor Jesse. You've got to hear from Pastor Paul. You've heard from myself. You've heard from Mark Brun. You've heard from Josh Atwell. You've heard from Pastor Dave a couple of times. Am I leaving anybody else out? Um, I don't think so. But the fact of the matter is, is we've heard you, your, I guess your pleas. We've heard the fact that you want a more consistent voice. You want somebody that will shepherd you and faithfully preach 
God's word to you. And so we've made some changes recently, and I'm really excited to become your campus pastor here at Crossroads and to be able to preach on a more regular basis. We're going to give you a more consistent voice, and it's going to be me and Josh Atwell that are bringing God's word. And I'm hoping that over the course of the coming years that you hear God's word preached and taught to you, and that it is like a fountain of living water coming out of us, and it plants a seed in your hearts, and that you grow because this is what we know about healthy seeds and healthy soil. When they are planted, when seeds are planted in healthy soil, it can't not grow. It just does. And so when God's word is implanted into you, it's going to grow if the soil of your heart is in a healthy place. And so we want to see you grow because we all need the regular teaching of God's word, no matter where we are in our faith. Those of you who have been a Christian for maybe 50 plus years, I will bet you that every time you hear God's word open, it comes alive to you in sometimes very fresh and new ways. There's always something for us to learn. And as we look back in Acts chapter 20, I want to look at verse 20 and verse 27 again. This is what Paul was saying to them. He's testifying to the importance of teaching. He said in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Then we jump over to verse 27 and Paul says this again, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was insistent that he was persistent in preaching God's word and teaching it to them because he knew that they needed a steady diet of the word of God, and he commended them for how they grew. Because in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, he's writing this letter to the people that he's addressing right here in this passage. He's writing this letter, and he's bragging on them about how they grew, and how God had done a work in them, and how their testimony was growing around the known world of their love for one another and their witness in the Spirit. And so Paul was very proud of the teaching that he provided to them, and they grew as a result of it. The truth is, you guys, is that we live in a day and age where there is a lot of, like, wiggity-whack teaching out there. A lot of people that call themselves Bible teachers or they call themselves Christians have some really off-centered understandings of what scripture actually says. And it is so easy for people to be led astray because we want our ears sometimes to be tickled and we want what is an easy truth. We don't want a hard truth. And there are so many preachers that are out there trying to, to make God's word a little bit easier and more relevant. And so they dumb it down and they water it down. And I want to tell you here at Crossroads, we never want to water down God's word. We want to make it relatable. We want to make it understandable, but we never want to change its intent. We never want to stray from the truth of God's word as difficult as it might be for us to hear sometimes. And so as we talk about growing, the church is a place for us to grow in our faith. You think about, you think about the, uh, the disciples that Jesus called some 2,000 years ago. He called these 12 men to give up everything and follow after him. Give up your careers. Give up your pursuits. Give up your future in some ways. Even sacrifice your families to some extent. Drop everything. Come and follow after me, and I will teach you, and I will make you fishers of men. And these 12 men, they did exactly that. They sacrificed everything, and they followed their teacher. They followed their rabbi, and they showed up every day in order to grow up. They didn't just show up on Sundays. 
They didn't just show up when Jesus was preaching another amazing sermon. They didn't show up for the spectacle or to see someone healed or to see a demon that was cast out. They showed up every day in order to learn and grow from their teacher. And this is what church is. This is what church provides. It provides an atmosphere and it provides an environment for us to grow under the teaching of God's word. And I will tell you this. I firmly believe this. You can certainly grow as a Christian without the church, but you will never grow into all God has called you to be outside of the church. If you don't have a church, if you don't have a faith family, if you're not sitting under regular preaching of God's word, you're never going to become all that God wants you to be and grow into all that God wants to make you. We need the church. The second thing that I see from from this passage in Acts chapter 20, the second blessing of being connected, um, of belonging to a church, is the connections that are found in gatherings and groups. And I love this as a community's pastor because I'm all about being in community and the life that comes from that and um, the relationships that come from community. Let's look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 20, kind of circling back to this verse again. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, remember, when I came to Asia, the moment I got here, I came to you in Ephesus. And I spent time with you. And I poured into you. And I taught you. And we did life together. And we grew together. And we built a bond together. And this was the church. And it was special. It was unique. It was different from anything that they had ever seen or experienced These people showed up on a regular basis from day to day, gathering in the homes. Folks, being a part of a church allows you to be a part of a larger group. Sunday morning gatherings, this is great. Like There is is real meaning, there is real value in this. But what it also does is it provides a place for you to find relationships, to, to, to gather with people on a more regular basis throughout the week, and to go deeper into life with them, to go deeper into discipleship with them. Look around today. Beyond the spouse that might be sitting next to you, do you know the people that you claim to belong to? Do you do life with them? Do you travel through these days together? Do you encourage one another and rebuke one another and correct one another and edify one another? Do you truly know the people that you say you belong to? Man, a blessing of being connected in a church is the fact that we can find smaller groups of people. Folks, God did not call us, like I said earlier, he did not call us to be consumers in a megachurch. He called us to be contributors to a community. And every one of us still have something to contribute. I've been a Christ follower now for 34 years, and it would be really easy for me to just sit back and say, you know what? I've given and I've given and I've given and I've sacrificed. For 24 years now, I've been a pastor, and I've given so much to different local churches. It would be so easy for me to say, you know what? I think I'm kind of done. I think I just want to put it on cruise control. I think I just want to kind of take in like a sponge. I don't really want to give that much out anymore. Folks, it's time to take your hand off the shopping cart. It's time to stop shopping. It's time to, it's time to stop being that consumer. And it's time to put your hands to the great work, to re-engage if you have started to pull back. This is what we find, and it's such a blessing to be able to gather together as Christians and actually contribute. So many Christians, on a, on a week-to-week basis, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that come to this campus every Sunday, but there might only be 
just 100 or so that actually contribute. We're all called to be contributors. And we find this possibility of contributing in community. And if we're growing as Christians, we will constantly be in pursuit of those people that we call ours. We will constantly be searching for our community, for our belonging, for our people. Many of you have probably heard of Pastor Paul David Tripp. He actually said this in a book recently. I want to read this quote. He said, an isolated, independent, separated, and self-hiding Christian life is alien to the Christianity of the New Testament. Biblical Christianity is thoroughly and foundationally relational. No one is so spiritually mature that he is free from the need of the comfort, the warnings, the encouragement, the rebuke, the instruction, and the insight of others. Everyone needs partners in struggles. And this doesn't happen on Sundays. So just remember, we all need partners. We all need groups. So where do these kind of gatherings happen? Where do these kind of groups happen? Well, it happens in community groups. It happens in Bible studies. It happens in core groups or discipleship groups. It happens in joy clubs that we have every couple of months. It happens in prayer meetings that are on Wednesday night and Saturday mornings and Monday nights. It happens in all of these different ways that we provide outlets for you to not only connect with other people, but to connect deeper with God. You know, last night, I I take this really seriously. Like, I'm very intentional in my life of creating community around me, belonging and finding my people. Just last night, I I have a core group of four other guys that I meet with every week. We meet at 6.15 a.m. right here uh, in the conference room every Thursday morning, and we talk about God's Word We journal through scripture, we encourage one another, we challenge one another, and we pray together every week without fail. And um, just last night, I had all four of those guys together. We got together at one of their houses, and all of their wives came, and all of their kids came, and there were 22 of us. And we had no agenda other than just to connect and to belong to one another. We laughed, and we had breakfast burritos at eight o'clock last night and we sat around a fire as it started to get chilly and we told stories and we just got to know each other and it was meaningful and it, it, you know, it, it, it challenges me and it brings me, it brings me joy to connect with other people. And I got to tell you in about six days, I am going to be in Florida with my other group of my people, my community group. There's 14 of us going to Destin, Florida this coming weekend, and we're just going to spend time together and we're going to have a great time. Why do we do that? Because we want to build into each other because these gatherings and these groups are fundamental to our discipleship and to our growth. And I'm so excited to be able to to go fishing. We're going fishing together, deep sea fishing. We're going to get pontoon boats and we're going to get jet skis and we're going to put our our feet in the sand and we're going to get sunburned and we're going to do all of these things that you do and shouldn't do when you go to the beach. And I cannot wait for the the times that we have around the dinner table and the conversations that we're going to have because each and every time I connect with these good people that are now my people, They encourage me in my faith. My life is richer and fuller because I'm in this group. And I can't wait to spend a week with them. And I know that if you got into a group, if you find gatherings that are smaller and more intimate than the one that you're in right now on a Sunday morning, I know that you will find deeper relationship. And I know that your discipleship will go even further. You know, we have a saying around here that says this, you can't grow spiritually without being connected relationally. We all need those relationships. 
The third blessing of belonging to a church are the causes to invest the causes to invest in through giving. Sorry, I couldn't read that right. The causes that we can invest in through giving, God has called us to be a generous people. If you look at Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 33 through 35. I want to break this down just a little bit further. It says this, Paul was saying, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said this himself. It is more blessed to give than receive. Generosity is a tremendous benefit of being a a part of a belonging community. Being generous is exactly what Paul talked about. Some of the very last words that he shared with this church, he said, remember Remember amongst all of these things, amongst all of the theology and all of the doctrine and all of the Bible teaching, all of these principles that I have instilled into you and I have dispensed to you over three years, don't forget this one thing, that it is more blessed to give than receive. He was creating a culture in this church, a a legacy of generosity, because that's the kind of people that God wants us to be. Because belonging people, when you belong to a church, belonging people bless people. Can I brag on my friend for just a moment? I want to brag on my friend Josh. He's, he's in the service today. You all know Josh. Most of you do. Uh, Josh, is, Josh is my people. Like he and I have become really good friends and ministry partners. He's so excited to be able to preach to you on a more regular basis. He gets fired up about this campus. And we're just friends. We have a lot of things in common. We do a lot of stuff together. We play softball together. We're in community group together. Um, and now it just so happens that we fix bathrooms together. Because I told you last week about my house, right? I told you about the man that died in my house. Um, I, told, I told you about that last week. And that was really tragic. But uh, what's even, uh, not worse, but it's just as bad. We have another incident at my house this last week. We realized we have a major problem in my master bathroom. This bathroom was just remodeled two and a half years ago, right before we moved into it. Well, the whole master bathroom, the shower has to be gutted because the water got behind the tile and there's mold on the drywall. The whole thing is fine. And I'm in over my head, man. I know nothing about construction. Absolutely nothing. And so I call up Josh and Josh is like, hey, I can come over and take a look at it for you. And he comes over and all of a sudden, before we know it, we are tearing into the shower, tearing tile out. We're tearing moldy drywall off. We're tearing plastic off. And he's given me all this insight and all this wisdom. And the fact of the matter is, I'm hating every minute of it. I'm like, this stinks that I have to do this right now. I would much rather be watching TV. I would much rather be hanging out with my kids or eat dinner or whatever. And Josh is like, man, I'm having a great time. This is so fun. I get to do this with my buddy. I get to do this with my friend. This is great. I'm like, you're crazy, man. I don't know what's wrong with you. But the fact is, is that he sees this opportunity to be generous toward me. And that he's blessing me because we belong together and it's not work for him. It's not really putting him out that much because he understands a life of generosity. And I just get to be a recipient of that. And I'm so thankful for it that I have people like that around me that I've surrounded myself. We belong together and we bless one another. And so blessing, a blessing comes from being able to give. And then the last thing, the last point that I noticed in this passage is that the blessing of belonging to a church is that it gives you a launch point to get you going. It gives you a launch point to get you going. So we've talked about giving. We've talked about growing. We've talked about gathering in groups. And now we're going to talk about growing. And I find it 
I find it really interesting. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But do you know that the, the word missionary actually never appears at any point in the New Testament? You will not find the word missionary in any verse in the New Testament. I think that's interesting because we label people missionaries and we, we kind of hold them up as spiritual heroes. And they are, that they are. But it's really interesting that you never see that word. And I think the reason is, is because God expects every one of us to live as if we're sent. And sometimes as modern day Christians in 2022, we want to look at those missionaries and we say, they're the ones that are sent. They're the spiritual giants. That's not me. I'm not sent. They're sent. Well, man, Jesus never expected that we wouldn't be sent as well. We're all commanded to go. There are no special classes of sent ones in the scripture. Everyone was sent into their world. In fact, let's look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 20 again. Verse 18 says, um, And when they came to him, he said to them, You know yourselves how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set, set foot in Asia. Paul felt like he was sent to these people. Now we jump down to verse 20, where Paul said, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public um, and from house to house, testifying to both the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a man on mission. He didn't hold back from teaching anybody God's word and taking the gospel of Jesus to anyone, whether it was Jew or whether it was Gentile. He understood his mission in life. And understand this today, Christian, our mission is to live sent. Because in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so this is what Jesus has commanded us. He didn't say, he didn't just say, stay where you're at. He didn't just say, stay therefore. He said, go therefore. Have you ever stopped to consider that right where you're at might be exactly where God is sending you? That your mission field might be your workplace. It might be your community. It might be your neighborhood. It might be your family. It might be your friend group. We don't all have to go overseas in order to live sent as missionaries. And the church is a great place for you to begin going. But the problem is, is that I think far too many of us are a little bit too much like lawn chair Larry. Funny story. I read this story in a book several years ago. I thought I would share it with you. Lawn chair Larry, as he's known, this happened several years ago. Lawn Chair Larry, he went to an army surplus store. He kind of got bored with life. He went to an army surplus store and he bought 75 used weather balloons. He takes these weather balloons home and he does what you're going to imagine. I think some of you already see where this is going. He decides to fill all 75 of them up with helium and he ties them to the back of his pickup truck. And then he ties his lawn chair to the string of balloons. And he's got a gathering of people. You blow up 75 weather balloons in your backyard, people are going to show up. They're going to want to know what's happening. Lawn Chair Larry ties himself down to this, this, uh, th- this bundle of weather balloons, and he asks one of his good friends, one of his neighbors, if they would cut the rope when he was completely secured. And when he cut the rope, this is what one of his neighbors said to the reporter after this incident. Larry was just hoping to observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle and gain a new perspective on his life. Well, Larry surely got a new perspective. He took nothing with him other than a peanut butter sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and his BB gun. They cut the rope, 
Larry goes up into the sky, soars up into the sky. Two hours later, LAX airport gets a call from an airplane reporting an unidentified flying object. Larry soared to 16,000 feet and he got up there so high, so fast that he passed out and was completely unconscious from the, from the thin air. And, uh, turns out he was only hoping to go maybe a couple thousand feet up into the air, but what also turns out is that when you send up 75 weather balloons full of helium into the air, you actually shoot into the atmosphere like a rocket. And that's exactly what Larry did. He shot into the atmosphere like a rocket. They got him down. He was safe. He was healthy. They got him revived. He survived it. And at the end of all of this ordeal, a reporter asked Larry, she said, Larry, why did you pull this stunt? And this is what he said. He said, I just got tired of always sitting around. Kind of crazy, isn't it? I think a lot of Christians are just like Lawn Chair Larry. They're tired of sitting around. No one has employed them. No one has commissioned them. No one has told them their value. No one has learned how to utilize their gifts and their abilities. And Christians just get, they get bored because they come to church on Sunday morning and they just do this. Well, this is good preaching. Or that was good hymns to worship with. Or, hey, I got a chance to talk to my friend. I hadn't seen them in a couple of weeks. Oh, this is good. And we go about our days and we get completely bored in our faith because no one challenges us. And I'm telling you folks, you still have something to offer. It's time, like I said earlier, just like you see on the front of your program, it's time to take your hands off of the shopping cart. It's time to stop being a consumer and to still give and to re-engage in the battle because God is sending each and every one of us we never retire from our faith. We never retire from the Great Commission. We never should stop being passionate about teaching and telling one more person about Jesus. The church is a great place to gather, to come together, and then to go into the world. So we gather together to go into the world. We get encouraged on Sunday morning so that we can go and have courage in the world throughout the week. And there is no better place to find that equipping than the local church. But if this is all your faith is on Sunday mornings, you are missing out on all that God has for you and how he wants to send you into your world and how you should go. And so folks, I want to remind you as we close out, the church is God's plan A for the redemption of the world. We are the church. We are those living stones. We are the ones that take the message into the world. There's no plan B. Can you wrap your mind around that? Like, wow, look around you. God really wants to use us for his plan for redemption? Yeah, he does. I bet you if there was a plan B, we would all revert to it. We would say there's got to be something easier. But the fact of the matter is, we are his plan A, and that's it. That's all there is. God wants to use us. But we have to stop being consumers. We have to stop being just participants. We have to just stop being partakers. We need to actually take our hand off the shopping cart. Grab a shovel. Let's do some work. Let's put our hands to the great work that God has ahead for us here at Crossroads. Let's pray.